0: Judges chapter 10 verse 10 through 18 the remaining verses of this book, this chapter and this story. Judges chapter 10 and verse 10 And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Baal. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians? And from the Amorites, and from the children of Ammon, and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Moanites, did oppress you, and ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me, and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away the strange God among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved For the misery of Israel. Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. The children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mispi. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants. Gilead. Turn again in your hymn book please and stand with me. Sing number 758. Lord and stay Great God, thy sovereign power impart To give thy word success Write thy salvation in each heart And make us learn thy grace Show our forgetful feet the path that leads the joys on high. Where knowledge grows without decay and love shall never die seated. We've come again this morning to our text of study here in the 10th chapter of God's record of the judges in Israel. And now we've come to these final verses of that chapter. Chapter 10. This chapter had begun, as you recall, with the blessed and glorious record of 45 years in the cooling breezes of refreshing revival in the national life of Israel. And then on last week, We saw the sad turn in the record of Israel's stupid obstinance. One commentator that I read to you last week referred to this as Israel's stupid obstinance. That is their shocking declension into idolatry again our God we saw inflamed with wrath and energized by his sovereign holiness offended he executed severe punishment on his people for 18 years they labored Under the slavery to the surrounding nations. One on either side. Struggling, suffering, suffering. We saw in the wording from the text on last week. Deeply suffering under the anger and wrath of God. Because of their sin. Could I just pause here to issue a warning to unbelievers. A warning of this very clear and present danger inherent in your soul. And it is this. Idolatry. Israel had slipped back into idolatry. Idolatry is the inevitable fruit. Of an unregenerate heart. Whatever may have been. Your former exercises. In religion. Forty five years this chapter opens. Forty five years Israel. Had worshipped their God. In the appointed place. And by the appointed means. And under his appointed directions. Forty-five years, but now they've turned again to idolatry. And I would just remind you again not to preach last week's sermon over again, but just remind you, idolatry is the inevitable fruit of an unregenerate heart, whatever may have been your former experiences in religion. One scholar has said, if God is forsaken, Baal will be followed. The soul cannot endure a void. This temple must always have some deity in it. If the higher religion is rejected, a lower superstition will take the place of it it will not remain empty the decay of the national religion of old rome was accompanied by the adoption of strange oriental cults and by the spread of a religion of magic modern skepticism gives birth gives birth to extraordinary forms of superstition religions of Nature (laughs) of humanity, of spiritism. Accordingly, the effort to attain freedom by escaping from the restraints of Christianity is a delusion and ends only in the bondage of some lower influence. The soul must have some master. And if it rebels against God, it will serve Baal, Mammon, the world, the flesh, or the devil. It will serve something. True liberty is only found in willing obedience. In the submission of love. In sympathy with the mind of God. And in delighting in his law. Perfect freedom of will. Arises from perfect harmony. Between our will and God's will. So that we gladly desire. What he demands. That's liberty. Got a lot of talk about freedom and liberty. In our world today. This is liberty. To have our will conform to the will of God. That is liberty. Everything else is bondage. And This heart of ours will not remain empty. It will not remain without some Lord on the throne. It will have some Lord. And if we abandon the God of the Bible, then we'll take on Baal and worship the devil. Contrary to the myths of modern miseducation, there is no such thing as amorality. To reject God's moral government is to plunge headlong into immorality. Not amorality, immorality. There is no neutral ground. The crisis of modern American society today is a result of an effort to establish a morality out of amorality. Amorality. The crisis, I said the crisis of modern American society is a result of an effort to establish a morality out of amoral teaching. We don't want God in the classroom. Then we shall have another God. If we will not have the God of this Bible, we shall have another God. For we will not be out without one. We shall have Baal. Strange religions crop up. Religions that brother mentioned. Religions of nature. Now we're worshiping the earth. The sun. The universe. Idolatry is inevitable in the heart of an unbeliever. Now this morning in these nine remaining verses, we find a record, a record that is most striking in both its doctrinal profundity and in its practical instruction. As we come to verse 10, Israel has, as I said already, struggled under the cruelty and tyranny of a brutal slavery for 18 years. And so then we are not surprised when we come to verse 10 and we read these words, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Struggled, I said. Struggled. Struggled. And I tried to paint that picture for you last week under the cruel tyranny of brutal slavery for 18 years. The Hebrew word cried Zoyach literally means to screech out in anguish. They cried out as a woman in travail screeching anguish to the Lord. Eighteen long years of crushing oppression had worn down their resilience and dashed all of their delusions and the reality of their real problem had finally struck home with them and their faithless hearts they had come suddenly and finally to realize the real problem and that was they had departed from the Lord may I just say by way of a short lesson all the harsh measures our God may employ to undeceive his people Oh, the harsh measures our God may employ to undeceive his people. Eighteen years horrible and cruel bondage under the hands of this oppressor. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, the prophet said, Therefore thus saith the Lord God... Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall make hate. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Their covenant with death shall be annulled, disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. For the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over by day and by night, and it shall be a vexation only just to understand the report. Prophet said, When the word goes out about what I'm doing, what I'm doing to you, it'll be a vexation just to listen to the report of it. Verse 20 For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it, the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Berizim, and shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do His work, His strange work, and bring to pass His act, His strange act. I said to you, our God, our God, oh, the harsh measures our God may employ to undeceive His people. We ought not be surprised. We ought not be surprised. The harsh measures our God will use. Oh, look at how he speaks to them in verse 14. Go! (laughs) Go! Go cry to your gods! Go cry to the gods that you chose! Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Reminds us, of course, I'm sure your heart goes with me to 1 Kings chapter 18 where the prophet Elijah is dealing with that unfaithful crowd of his day. Chapter 18 and verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. They took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from the morning even until noon saying, Oh Baal, Oh Baal, Oh Baal, here I. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry loud. Cry aloud with a great voice. You'll see the marginal reading right there. Cry with a great voice, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he's pursuing or he's in a journey or peradventure. He sleepeth and must be waked. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor anything regarding. Long before that text was written, long before that scene was played out, our God speaks to Israel and says, Go ahead, pray to your gods that you chose. Call on! Because you're in tribulation! Call on your God that you chose! So, what then? Under the pains of their deep distress, what does Israel say? Verse 10. Oh, we cried to the Lord, we've sinned! We've sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also because we've served other gods. You remember in the message on last week, I stressed this, I showed you what all they were worshipping. We talked about all those nations and all of their gods and all that was involved and all that they were involving themselves in and all the false worship they were doing. And then I got down and then I read you the text and I showed you that the greatest and most vile of it all was that they forsook the worship of God entirely. And so when you come here to this record, this part of the record, that finds its way its way not at the end of the list, but at the top of it. Their hearts have been brought to realize that the greatest sin was that they forsook the Lord. Two things they mention. There's a twofold confession here. There's a confession of their forsaking this, by the way. This was the crime of great heinous heinousness this was the great heinous crime forsaken the Lord but then they added as well they've served ben. and I told you that's inevitable that was inevitable you forsake the Lord it's inevitable. And so they have this twofold confession. And so then what? What is our Lord's response? <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help but a little chuckle at that question. What is the Lord's response? I chuckle because I think of what modern Preachers say, I think of what the modern gospel says. The moment a sinner indicates they may have some idea of the magnitude of their standing of sin in their life, the moment they do, they rush in with messages that Jesus loves you and he's so sorry for your pain. Oh, let us, let us get to you quickly. In to fill out a card or say a prayer or do something. I mean, we're going to relieve this thing right now. We don't hesitate. And believe you me, I've heard some of those testimonies. Some of them are of the weakest sort. I said the modern gospel Wants to give the sinner relief at the slightest mention of the possibility that they may have come to know their standing. Some of those are very weak indeed. But what does our God say? Verse 11. Did not I deliver you from Egypt? From the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines. Zionians and Amalekites and Manites, didn't I deliver you out of their hand? Didn't I do that? Israel? Well I tell you what you go and you cry to those gods because because I will Delivered you no more. You say, is that a gospel message? As <laughs> God's message to the sinner crying out. The first word is, you have no hope. None. Why are we afraid to tell sinners that? Dear Lord, every time I go to prayer, I hear the same message. John, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Didn't I do that? And now you've come to me with sin again? Oh no. No, our Lord offered no relief. He offered no instantaneous quick mix fix for their problem. In fact, they haven't yet seen their problem well enough. I will deliver you no more. Go cry to your gods. Here is our God working effectually someone has called this (laughs) I love these expressions I pick up in my studies. Someone has called this God's creation of a temporary horror of despair. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) A temporary horror of despair. Oh, how I can testify to that. Do you remember it, my dear Sandy friend. Do you remember it? Do you remember when you first came and you thought surely, oh, I wish I could remember them and recount them. I wish in God's grace they were here today. and I could march them up here and let them testify the testimonies I've heard of in my lifetime. People talking about giving testimony to the day they were converted. And so many of them, it comes out of their mouth. I thought I'd go to hell before I could get out of the building. I didn't think there was any way God could save me. A temporary horror of despair. Now, Now God is working eventually. Someone else called this God holding the sinner, sinner, holding the sinner under the yoke of his own choosing when he no longer chooses it. (laughs) Right? Holding the sinner under the yoke of his own choosing. He no longer chooses it. Hmm. Oh, today we're far too quick to relieve the sinner's pain. Who was it I was talking to and shared about the old days of preaching in the jail with Brother Brother R.L. Brazel, Brother Charles Dial, and I shared with them what Brother Charles said about Brother R.L. He said, Brother R.L. just puts them all in hell. Let God get them out. (laughs) He wasn't a theologian, but he understood that truth. Horror of a temporary despair. God is working eventually now in their hearts. Oh! (laughs) But some would say, but brother John, they've already repented. Look at verse 10, didn't you read? Verse 10, they've already repented. Oh, yes, but they have not yet brought forth, Matthew 3 and verse 8, fruits, meat, meat, For repentance. They just said they repented. They just said they were sorry. They just cried out because of their misery. (laughs) But now God is working effectually. And by this treatment of them, He is going to bring forth fruits. Meet for repentance. Oh, yes. Much more must be done here than just a testimony. Oh, how, how wise were those ministers of days gone by. How much more wiser than we are. Dear old Rogers said in 1615, as for us, who have learned and practiced better, let us beware that, as Paul bids Timothy, not to lay hands suddenly upon any, so that we do not lightly judge well or commend the estate of any man upon so slender a evidence. But let his constancy speak for him. Amen. Then he says, "Time (parentheses) the mother of truth." That's an interesting phrase. Time, the mother of proof of truth, shall prove him in the main season. Lift. Not thou such and one up to the third heaven in one mood. When in another thou shalt be urged to condemn to the nethermost hell. But be sober and leave him to God. To whom he standeth or falleth. Well, there's some wise pastoral counsel, isn't it? Just lead him to God. How many times, we've talked about it so many times in the jail, when some of these other ministers that go in with us to services and preach, and we declare the blessed Lamb of God the Savior of the world, and then close in prayer and walk out, and one of them will say, Man, you didn't, why didn't you give them a chance to be saved? Because I'm not in the saving business. He is. They need to get to Him. They need to get to Him. Too many of our spiritual deliveries in our birthing rooms, too many of our spiritual deliveries, I fear, are born preemies. You better let the Holy Spirit of God murmur. them. True repentance, said one. True repentance needs time to bear fruit and face examination. And so our God presses hard on their feigned remorse in these words. You've forsaken me and served other gods. And I'll deliver you no more. Go. Call out to your gods. Hmm. What's needed is true repentance. Here it is. Here's what it looks like. Look at it. Verse 16. And they put away, (laughs) they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. I wonder how many sinners in our day do that if we didn't cajole them. If we just left them to the Lord, I wonder how many of them would just go ahead and forsake their idols and turn from their sin and serve God. With no more promise than this. Do you understand the only word of promise. That they had received at this point. Was this word. I will not deliver you anymore. (laughs) But they forsook their idols. And served God. They went back to the temple. Oh. Look at David in verse, chapter 40 of the psalm. Look at David in the 40th psalm. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and he heard my cry. It's the same word. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. He's put a new song in my mouth. Even praising our God, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud nor such as turn aside. Oh, verse eleven of that chapter. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness, thy truth, continue to preserve me. For innumerable evils have come past me about mine iniquities. Oh, mine iniquities. This could have been Israel's prayer over there in Judges chapter 10. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. So that I'm not able to look up. I'm not able to look up, Brother John. Oh, that phrase smote my heart. I'm not able to look up. Oh, has God ever worked in your heart so convincingly, so effectually, a work of repentance that you could say with David, I can't even look up. I can't even look up. I can't even look up. Oh, I can't even look up. They're more than the hairs of my head. They're my, therefore my heart failing. That's where God wanted to bring Israel. Oh, it won't do just to come prancing in and say, well, I've sinned against the Lord. I've pursued the Lord. And I've served idols. Oh, no, that won't do. That won't do. He'll bring the sinner to the place that he can't even look up. You know, I'm fond of memorizing things. Y'all know that about me. I, I don't know why I think some things just stick to me. And i memorize, remember, never forget, testimony, that old preacher from up north Georgia. He said he came down. When he came to Christ, he said he had one man on one side saying, turn loose, and another man on the other side saying, hold on. I didn't know whether to turn loose or hold on. I didn't know what to do. He said, find out, slip. I said, Lord, if you could save a sinner like me, save me, Give up, desperate. Repentance, repentance will do that. David said, I couldn't even, I couldn't even look up. Someone said, inconvenience, discomfort. Even distress and humiliation may all be felt without true repentance. Real repentance arises only from sorrow for and hatred of sin as sin. Not sin because of what it's done to me. Not sin because of how bad I feel. No, no. Real repentance will bring remorse for sin as sin. Because it's against the Lord. One commentator said the genuineness of repentance must be tested by its effects. Repentance is not a mere feeling of grief. It is not seated in the emotions at all, but in the will. There must be a change of the will, and only grace can accomplish that. I remember in the days of fundamentalism, we used to preach. Tried to preach hell in such a way that we could scare folks into salvation. I remember, God forgive me. I remember many a time saying in the pulpit, "If I could scare you out of hell, I would." I repent. I'm afraid I scared a lot of folks into believing they were not going to hell, but they were because salvation is not in your fear it's not in your feelings it's in God turning your will God's dealings with Israel here are designed to accomplish exactly that and they do verse 15 and 16 children of Israel said it again same words We've sinned. But then they said, Do thou unto us whatever seemeth good to thee. Did you know if God grants you real repentance? You'll come to the place where God can say, I'm going to put you in hell, and you're going to say, Amen. Yes, Lord. That's what you should do, put it in it. That's what real repentance will do. It'll suck the self righteousness right out of you. And Israel had received only one word I will deliver you no more. And they said, Yes, Lord, do us what seems good to you. <laughs> oh, with no stated hope of recovery, with no stated offer of pardon or grace, with no hint of mercy in sight, they throw themselves unreservedly into the work of mending the breeze. Hallelujah. That's real repentance. (laughs) Oh, not only that, but they fling themselves unguardedly into the hands of sovereign justice. Can I say that again? They fling themselves unguardedly into the hands of sovereign justice. Do with us whatever you will. <laughs> but all, oh, listen to me now. When true repentance has wrought its glorious work, the sinner will cry out, "I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Cast me off into hell, if you will, and by thy grace from hell I will shout." Amen. Lord, let it be. Oh, the cleansing power of true repentance. I say to you this morning that under the power of this kind of repentance nothing can hurt the sinner. Oh, Satan's accusations. Satan's accusations elicit this response. Oh devil, you haven't told the half of it. (laughs) The pricking barbs of a condemning conscience are answered with this cry, Nay, conscience, far worse have I done surely than what you said. And the heart will cry out that I'm deceitful above all things and Desperately. That's what true repentance will do. Oh, when true repentance has worked its mysterious divine work, none can charge us too harshly. But that our hearts will respond, yes, that and much more. Am I? Oh, but hallelujah. When grace has accomplished that confession and draws that out of our hearts, it will then draw up in us the strength to cry out these last words of verse 16. But Lord, deliver us this one time. But Lord, deliver us. Do with me what you will, but all, as my brother said in his confession, If you can save a sinner like me, save me. Israel said, they put away the strange gods. In verse 15, they confessed their sin. But they said, we pray thee, deliver us only. This day. Oh, hallelujah. The same grace. The same grace that accomplishes that confession. Will accomplish this cry as well. Save me. In verse 16. And I will serve you. But now. If I could just maintain my dignity and self-control to tell it to you, I have to tell you what the last words of that text is. Verse 16. His soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Oh God, God was moved to compassion. Now I'm not going to waste your time this morning. Or take up my time bickering over trivialities, nor even important doctrines. The theological intricacies of academic discussions on divine impassibility. One verse of texture, one verse of scripture puts an end to that whole discussion. Job 23 and verse 13, you can look it up for your own time, puts an end to that whole discussion. I'm not going to discuss divine impassibility with you. But I'll tell you what, I will not delay to speak in the language of Scripture. God was grieved at their misery. Oh, the free, sovereign, inexplicable, Mercy of God's grace. Greed. And the misery of Israel. said, he could not, as it were, be any longer angry with them, nor bear to see their suffering. For as a German writer Beautifully observed. And he quotes this German writer. The love of God is not like the hard and fast logical sequences of man. It is ever free. (laughs) The parable of the prodigal affords a glimpse of the marvelous inconsistency of the Father. Hallelujah. Blessed be his name. I love those words. Oh, look at the prodigal son, this German writer said, and you'll see an example, just a glimpse of his marvelous inconsistency. Thank God for his inconsistency. That is, with regard to his justice in the sinner. He said it affords a glimpse into the marvelous inconsistency of the father who receives the wanderer when he suffered the consequences of his own sin. Put away the strange gods and the withering rod will burst anew with life and burden. And such is ever God's love full and free. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, Here's the testimony. Here is God's testimony. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 7. My people are bent to backsliding. My people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call them to the Most High, None at all would exalt him. But then he calls out, listen to his heart. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adam? Shall, how shall I set thee as Zeboam? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentance are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy April. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. And he goes on and on and describes his sovereign deliverance for them. Oh, he says, how can I? How can I do this? How can I destroy? I can't. He said, my heart is turned within me. Our text says his soul was grieved for oh, the misery of Israel. Oh, you will utterly exhaust the total power of human intellect and drain dry the oceans of human resources to ever fathom the depths of this glorious gospel message. God has compassion on sinners. God has compassion on sinners. Fathom it if you can. God pardoning sinners. Oh, our text tells us his soul was grieved. That blessed Hebrew word literally means And if you have an old King James Bible, you have a marginal reading. And you'll see that that word means shortened. 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 And one scholar attempting to explain it in our English language said it is as if his wrath met with some kind of impatience. His wrath met with some kind of impatience in redressing their sin. And he shortened it. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. In his heart, he was grieved. His anger somehow met with some kind of impatience and he shortened it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, no wonder in nineteen seventeen Frederick Lehman wrote those words, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, reaches down to the lowest hill. The guilty pair bowed down in good care. God gave His Son to win His erring child. He reconciled and pardoned for His sin. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? <laughs> you know the words, don't you? Oh, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above? Oh, would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Love of God, oh. The love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless, how strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. He was great for the misery of Israel shortened. His wrath somehow met with some kind of impatience. You can read, you can hear in the brother's words, he's struggling somehow to express it and just can't say. Love of God. So what then? Verse 17. The children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in this P. Take this lesson to your hearts this morning from verse 17. Take this lesson to your hearts. No sooner than repentance Has begun her sweet work. God's enemies will begin to stir with new strength. No sooner. Than repentance has done its sweet work. God's enemies. Will stir with new strength. All of a sudden. These folks are gathering and encamping for war. Hmm. the children of Ammon gathered, and what do we see? Hallelujah. We see the children of Israel assembling themselves. Amen? The children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel. Assembled themselves together. (laughs) Hey, hallelujah. Can I tell you this? Repentance has reinvigorated their hearts. Roger said, Furthermore, We have heard in the 7th and 8th verse That the Philistines and the Ammonites sore vexed Israel for 18 years and in all that time they never durst take up a weapon against them until they repented but then they began with good courage to resist and assemble themselves against them by the which it may be noted what liberty and courage, true repentance bringeth with it. Amen. The reason is this. When men in their conscience see that they have dealt treacherously with God and have nourished and followed the desires of their own hearts contrary to that that they knew they should have done, they have no hope in them against such enemies either bodily or spiritually but let repentance have its sweet work and courage will flower and flow in every vein giving life to drooping hearts. When repentance has done its work courage will be in its veins. oh yes notice with me two more very quick details out of this text and I could close today the chapter in verse 18 you read the words of verse 18 the people and the princes of Gilead said one to another what man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? he shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead can I just make this note to you they're not looking for a king now they're not looking for a king now that got them in a whole lot of trouble didn't it looking for a king started out with one vile usurper went to another looking for others Get down to verse 18 when repentance has done its work. They're not looking for a king anymore. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for somebody that'll lead them in battle against God's enemies. They're just looking for a leader that'll help them fight God's battles. Amen. They're not looking for a king anymore. Don't let that, don't let that lesson be lost on you. When repentance has done its work, They're not looking for a king anymore. They're looking for a leader that will help them fight the Lord's battles. And the final lesson I'll give you. This is so important. I want you to be helped with this. God's merciful providence is such that He does not send the trial until He's made you ready to bear it. You see what they've been through in the text this morning? See what they've been through? You see, these Amalekites, children of Ammon, they didn't gather until God had wrought a thorough repentance in Israel. Such is the mercy of our God's providence; He will not send the trial. Until he has sent the work. To make us ready. And able. To bear it. Notice verse 17. Didn't come. Until after verse 15 and 16. (laughs) Oh Roger said. By the which we may see how God keepeth many evils and troubles from his dear servants till he hath made them fit for them and them able to go under them. Whereas if they had come upon them before, they had been utterly overwhelmed by them. For as he turneth Many afflictions away from them altogether, which they saw not how they could avoid. Even so, he deserveth; he deferreth many, so that they shall not touch them till he hath strengthened their shoulders and put courage into their hearts and made them able to. Yet he leadeth them not unexercised in one or other more small and easy as he seeth it profitable to them and that they are fit later to bear more. It is great grace therefore to believe, says Rogers, that God will keep from us such afflictions As are not fit to honor him. But likelier. To overcome our corruption. And betray our cause. If any object. To the follies of divers servants of God. Prevented and taken unawares by strong trials such as. Cranmer. In the first assault of his enemies forced him to yield to that which he ought not. And if things like this disturb you, let you know, says Rogers. God hath a divers end and divers methods. And teacheth men humbleness and knowledge of themselves. By such assaults as they cannot answer to the end that they may be able for those trials afterwards, having renounced themselves and got firmer hold on the all sufficiency of God. Simple lesson. God, in the words, simple words of 1st Corinthians 10 and 13, Our God will not test you above that ye are able to get you ready for it. To get you ready for the trial before he sends it. Hallelujah. What a gracious God. This gracious shepherd never leaves his sheep where his provision has not been supplied. We find that hard to believe sometimes, don't we, brother? We find that hard to believe sometimes, but our God knows. It's not in me, it's not in me. It's not my strength. It's his. I have to rely. Rely. To and the more I rely, the more he's glorified in my weakness. So they say we need a leader. We need a leader. We need somebody to lead us. We've assembled ourselves. We've repented. We have a heart to fight, but we need somebody to lead us. So who then will step up? They're not recruiting anymore. Notice they're not doing the choosing. (laughs) They're expressing to the Lord, we need a leader. We're going to set this out. Whoever will lead us to success against the Lord's enemy will rule over us. We need a leader. Who's going to step up? Well, we'll find out, God willing, in the day's ahead. Turn with me to a hymn book and stand with me again, please. Number 690. 690, how oft alas this wretched heart has wandered from the Lord. How oft my roving thoughts depart, forgetful of His word. Yet sovereign mercy calls return, dear Lord, and may I come. My vile ingratitude I mourn. Oh, take the wonder sing 690. he calls return dear Lord and may I come my vow in gratitude I hold oh take the wondrous and can forgive and be my crimes remove and shall pardon rebel live to speak thy wondrous love thy pardon love so sweet so sweet blessing your eye adore oh keep me at thy sacred peace and let me run no more